the title of my sermon is Jesus on the Go. And I'll put this here. And the reason it's Jesus on the Go is if you notice, Jesus never stood still, right? And we're, so we're talking about God, the Son of God in, in, in flesh, but he never stood still. He didn't just sit somewhere and grow roots and kind of build a retirement and get a couple acres of land and raise his kids. And you, you see what I'm saying? He, he, didn't, he, he didn't sit because he had a mission to do. And we have a mission to do, right? And, and the hard thing is sometimes is, I think, finding that mission and, and listening to the voice of God and being able to hear what God's telling us that we're supposed to be doing. And, and, and sometimes we put blinders up on purpose, right? Because, because it may shock us and it may seem radical to us, some of these feelings that we get and some of these thoughts that we have. And so I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll get into the message. Father, I pray that you would continue to let your spirit flow. God, uh, you couldn't ask for a more perfect set of worship songs, and I, and, and I thank you for that. God, uh, I pray that, that somebody here that doesn't know Jesus w- would come to know you today. God, and I pray on the flip side of that, that, that those of us who know you would hear your voice and, and, and like, like Pastor said, would, would agree with you in the process of what we're supposed to do. In the name of Jesus, amen. So how many of you have seen Forrest Gump? How many of you have seen Forrest Gump, right? And, and one of the best movies ever made, hands down, right? Cinema, cinematically, uh, storyline, plot, I, I mean, it, it just rocked you, right? Because you're like... This is just awesome, right? He, he, he just does these things, right? And, and, and he'll go, and then he'll switch up, and he'll do something different, and, and then he just does it. And he does it with all his heart, and he does it without any inhibition, and he does it with, without, without a second thought of, man, am I going to look stupid? Am, am, am I going to look ba- is, is this going to be embarrassing? It, it, there, there's, no, there, there's no second thought like that. Right, and so you watch this, and it goes. Of course, it goes through the time and history, and, and the major events, and 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 you watch all that. And and to us, some of the things he did were neither godly or, or right. And, and really, we could honestly argue that some of them were were a complete waste of time. But that's not how he felt, right? Never once in the movie did you see Forrest stop and think, "Well, I shouldn't have done that." He just kind of went on to the next big idea. One of my favorites throughout that whole movie is when he starts running, right? He just starts running, right? He's like, and I ran. And, and, and he's just going, right? And, and, and these reporters are running with him, and they're, tra- and they're trying to ask him, like, why are you running? What are you doing? Well, well I just ran. You know what I mean? And, and, and he says this. But if you go back to the beginning of the movie, does anybody remember why Forrest ran? Because Jenny told him to run. Because somebody that he loved and he cared about deeply told him to run. When they were picking on him as a kid, right? Run, Forrest, run. As he got older, through Vietnam, run. And then when he was out of Vietnam and he just decided to start running one day, run. But it all started with that voice from somebody that loves him and that he loved very much. And so I wonder today, do we understand the voice of God when it talks to us? Do we understand the depth of love that's involved in the conversation between us and God when that voice comes in? 
And, and no, I don't believe in pulling theology from Hollywood movies. But I think the beauty of God is everything is acceptable for practical application to teach biblical principles. So, so, and I think you'll find that through the series and through the Bible, the constant thread is go. Right? The, the thread has never been stay and be comfortable and become complacent in your life. It is go. It is go. And so if you guys would, close your eyes real quick. Close your eyes. I'm going to ask a couple questions. So, I want you to think about this. Those of you that are married, those of you that have children, uh, those of you that just have somebody that really means a lot to you. If one day they called you up and said, I have a burden. I have this friend that really, really needs some food. And they're, they're hard on their luck. And, and, and I need you to stop by and can you drop the food off for me? I can't make it. Uh, can you help me? How many of you would do that? Raise your hand, please. How many of you would do that? How many of you would stop what you're doing and go do what somebody you love asked you to do? Okay, put your hands down. My second question. How many of you have heard the voice of God? How many of you have felt a burden to go do something and you didn't do it? I'm going to raise my hand. Okay, guys, open your eyes. My point in that is, is something weird happens when you transfer from horizontal relationships between people to a vertical relationship between you and God. Something happens, right? And something becomes weird and uncomfortable to where God's asking us to do the same thing, right? So my big two questions you read in there are, are, are if you have a cure for an incurable disease, are you going to keep it to yourself, right? And, and, and if you have an abundance of food, are you going to let somebody else go hungry? Right? Because here, here's the deal. At the very core of when God calls us to go do something, there is a reason for that. And it's not a selfish reason to God. It is, it is never just because he wants to glory in his awesome presence, which to be brutally honest, he has every right to because he is God. And he is sovereign, right? So, so we are created beings and we really can't say much about that. But the beauty of God is he relentlessly pursues those that are broken and lost. And the way he does that is with other broken and lost people. And so when God asks you to go do something, there's always a linchpin in that ask. Because the thing is, is we look and we see that it might be dangerous and it might be uncomfortable and it might be unusual and man, I'm going to feel weird. And, and it's like telling somebody about Jesus, right? And, and, and you've never done that before and you don't know the Romans road and you don't know all these verses. And so you see the guy's got some sandals on and you're like, look, Jesus wore sandals. Can I tell you about Jesus? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you look awkward and you feel weird and your face is red. And, and, but the beauty of it, is you're stepping out in faith to share the gospel with somebody. And the reason God has us do it is because it is never a one-sided deal. It is never a, I'm just telling them about Christ. Something happens with you and God when you step out in that faith that is always a blessing to you too. And so this is why 
I have two major scriptures that we're going to read this morning. One of them is Joshua chapter 1, and, and that's a big, it's a big part of my life. Because when my wife and I came up here a couple years ago, uh, a good friend of mine prophesied over me, and, and he said, brother, he said, I'm going to tell you, Joshua chapter 1, he says, that's your whole life. He says, you've been wandering down here in Wichita in the desert for the last five years, he says, but it's time for you to cross over. And, and, he, and he did, and, and, and I mean, he was just bawling, and, and, and then it never fails, right? And it was really actually right around this day. Every year around this time, something comes up with Joshua chapter 1. And so I want to share that with you guys. Uh, but the other one, of course, is the Great Commission. So, so I'm going to read Joshua chapter 1, and, and I'm going to read 1 through 9, but we're going to have emphasis on 6 and 7 because I want you to see the thread. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, and the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Hittites, and the great sea towards going down off the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so, will, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that the Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right nor to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, it on, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according all that is written in it, for then it will make you prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I want to talk about this. I want to pull this apart because there's something real special about Joshua, right? So, so if we go back and we look at Moses, and we're going to touch on Moses again real quick. When the children of Israel left Egypt, and Moses led them through the Red Sea, led them across dry land, right? Man, completely wiped out Pharaoh's army when the sea came back over. And, and these guys watched all this, right? And as soon as they get to the other side, God's saying, look, right over here, right where you're looking, I have given you this land. All you got to do is go take it. That's all you got to do. You just got to go. And so what do they do? They send 12 people over, right? And out of 12 people, two people came back and said, hey, this is a good idea. Only two people. The rest of the ten were scared and said there's giants in the land and we can't do it. And we can't do it. And we can't do it. Right? It, it, and they brought back such a bad report that it stopped them from wanting to go do it. So here's what happened. They didn't take God at his word and the promise that he gave them. So they got to spend an extra 40 years wandering around the wilderness. Right, because they didn't stand on the promise that God made to them. But Joshua and Caleb did. And so here's what happened. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. Lots of people died because, of course, they're just like us. And we can look back and say that we would never be those people, but we are those people. I mean, if we're brutally honest, we are those people. You take away our creature comforts, put us in the middle of the desert, have us eat manna. You know what I'm saying? No, very, We're those people. And what had happened was now we're at the end of the 40 years, and Moses has died. 
And Joshua, this young man who used to stand at the tent when the Spirit of God would fill the tent when Moses would talk to God and just be there, just because, just because he wanted to be around God. God makes a covenant with this man. And if you look through the Bible, very rarely does God initiate the covenant, right? There's some major characters that do, but this is what happened with Joshua. And so God says, go. He says, go. It's time to go. And you know what Joshua does? He goes. He goes. We look at this life and we read about it. And and we got to understand that I, I know it's the Old Testament, and sometimes it's, it's, we think that there's a disconnect, but, but there's not. Everything with God flows in a constant line that is above time and space, right? He is not subject to our laws. We look at our watch and say, okay, this is the schedule I have to keep today. This is what I have to do. This is where I have to be. And God doesn't work like that. God says, I, I don't see your time. I see my time, right? When God says who he is, what does he say? I am, right? I am, which is completely set apart from time. I am. In other words, I am. I have always existed. I am always God. And so, so we look at the process here of when he says to go to Joshua, and you think, why, why, would, you, why would he even use Joshua, right? Why, why would he use this man? Why, why would he do this? Because if we look at the very beginning, from the time that Adam and Eve were in the garden, and even if we go back farther than that, God knew that he was going to create people, right? Because he's God. He knew this. He knew he was going to make people, and he knew he was going to create them out of dust. And you know what else he knew? He knew he was going to love them. He knew that this is going to be his star creation. You know who else knew that? Lucifer. You know who else knew that? Michael the Archangel. You know, they all knew that when God created us, he was going to love us. And he did. And so, when Satan got Adam and Eve to sin in the garden, he knew that he had to have a sacrifice for that. He knew. Right? And so, so we can read different parts of the Bible, and it looks choppy to us through. Unless we sat down and read the whole thing. But God doesn't see it like that. So, in knowing that he would have to have a restoration and a sacrifice for the sin that happened. He had to make that sacrifice, right? What better way than to send himself? Because really, that's what he did. In the spirit of the Trinity, as God came down, took on the form of man, and sacrificed himself to be the final sacrifice that would cancel all this out. So Joshua is really in the lineage of a bunch of other people. Abraham, right? It starts with Abraham. God says, go. Abraham come from people that had multiple gods and multi, you know, multiple beliefs and all this and that, all kinds of stuff, and he said, go. And so Abraham, not even having a context of who God is, went. And we watch his journey, right? His journey was rough. And, you, and when you read that that Abraham went back to 
you know, that, that Abraham dipped and he did this and he did that. And then when he went to Egypt, right, you know what that, that exemplifies? That Abraham's walk was not perfect, right? Because when you go down to Egypt, you know what you're doing? You're dipping back in your life. And that's what, that's what the Bible says. And so we read about Abraham's walk. Abraham's walk was never perfect, right? He lied about who his wife was. He, he told a lie. And then Pharaoh had the dream, right? And he's like, man, how are you going to do this to me? You almost got me killed. I can't believe you did this to me. What kind of evil have you? And so you read about this, right? And then we go from Abraham to Isaac. And it was time for Isaac to get up and go. And then we read about Moses, right? Same thing, Moses. Moses was was the son of the Pharaoh, even though he was the son of a Hebrew, he was raised, and then he kills a man, and he runs off in the desert. And what does God do? God comes to him, and he says, Moses, I need you to go. I need you to go, right? I need you to put yourself in the most dangerous way that you could possibly think of doing, and I need you to go. And what's Moses do? He says, okay, but please don't make me talk, right? And, and, and here, here, here's where we got to look real deep into what the word's saying here. Because it's a semi-form of blasphemy. What Moses said to God was, even though you created me, you did not create me good enough because I cannot speak the words that you want me to speak. Right? Which coincidentally sometimes is what we do with God. When God gives us a passion and a burden to go do something and we say, you got the wrong person. I can't do that. And so what we're telling God is, I thank you for being so wonderful and creating me to do all these things, but I can't do that. And God's saying, I've created you just for this. And God still loved him and still relentlessly pursued, right? Because what did he say? Hey, your brother Aaron's right there. He could speak for you. And Moses still went. Joshua, we covered. David, right? David. This little shepherd out in the middle of the field. And when the Bible describes David, he doesn't say he was this mighty muscular man that was head and shoulder. No, that was Saul, right? That's how God, that, that's how the Bible describes Saul. He was head and shoulders above everybody else, and that's why they wanted him for king, because he was, he was a big guy. He was strong. He was muscular. David was, David was a skinny little kid, out tending sheep, right? Just a little, just little guy tending sheep. God said, go. God said, go. And David, with his little stature and his three little rocks, and his little sling, stinking like sheep, trying to bring lunch to his brothers that are on this line, doing these big things, kills the biggest one out of them all. The one that sat there taunting them for over a month. Send me out your mightiest man. Bring him out. Come on, bring him out. If you win, we'll serve you. If we win, you'll serve us. Bring him out cussing and screaming about their God. And this little skinny kid comes out and drops him and cuts his head off and even told him, today the birds are going to eat your remains. Why? Because God said go. Because God said go. We read about Esther. Right? One of my absolute favorite verses in the Bible is, is you could stand there and do nothing, right? Esther 4, but you were created for such a time as this. Her whole race of people was about to be wiped out by this guy Naaman, right? Who, who, because Mordecai, her uncle, wouldn't bow before him when he was walking through the court. He wanted to wipe out the whole race of people. Had she had not approached the king, 
Had she had not stepped up, had she had not done what Mordecai said, hey, look, you can do nothing, but just know that all of us are going to die. And you're probably going to die too. And what did she do? She stepped up and she stepped in the game. And she said, look, this is what's going on, King. Can I throw you a party? Can I do this? And, and, she, and so she butters him up for three days and then butters him up for three more days and butters him up and then tells him the story. And you know what happens? Naaman ends up hanging on his own gallows. And because the king's troubled in his spirit, he starts looking through and come to find out Mordecai had saved his life a ways back. But none of that would have ever come to light if Esther didn't take the chance to go when she was supposed to go, right? Nehemiah. Nehemiah, one of the greatest books ever. He, he, he has a burden because they've been in exile for all these years. And, and their temple's destroyed and, and their people are spread all over the earth in slavery. And it just so happens he's the cupbearer for the king. Right? Which, which for context, the cupbearer is one of the most important roles that you could ever have in a kingdom. Because he is what tastes the food and drinks the cup to make sure that it's not poisoned before the king eats. And he notices that he's sad, right? The king visually notices that he's sad. And he says, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? Which, which could get you killed all in itself. And he says, because my people are at waste and my temple is at waste. And you know what he does? The king helps him rebuild this temple, right? But this would have never happened if he would have never gone when he knew he had to go. We read about Paul in the New Testament, right? Saul, this persecutor of Christians that was just foul-mouthed and mean and religious and, and, and Christians are evil and I'm a religious zealot and all you need to die. As a matter of fact, he was the one that held the coats when they stoned Stephen in the book of Acts. That's, that's who Saul was, right? So on his road to Damascus, Jesus knocks him off his donkey, blinds him, and tells him, it's hard for you to kick against these goads. Because I've got, and he goes through this process. And he said, go. And what did he do? He went, right? That this is what we read about. This is, a, this is a thread that lasts across all 66 books of the Bible. It has been a constant go. And every one of these men that I have talked to you about, and, and, and really, and all the women, right? Let's look at Rahab. Let, let's be honest. Rahab was a harlot that was in the walls of Jericho. When the two spies, right, were, were trying to spy it out, she let them out of her chamber, down the wall, and helped them escape. And guess what? Now she's in the lineage of Christ. So when you read the book of Matthew and you read about the lineage of where Jesus came from, she's in there. Why? Because she, she went. All 66 books have an example of broken men and women who are hurt. Some are narcissistic. Some have horrible self-esteem. Some don't feel that they can speak. Some don't feel that they can talk. Some were completely ungodly people. Some were, were, were dipping into witchcraft. I mean, it is full of men and women who struggle with the word go because of who they are and where they're at in their life. But they went. They went. 
And then finally, at the very top of this whole mountain, we have Jesus Christ, right? We have the Son of God. We have God. And if we read in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. When you read the Bible, all the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, right? And then when you read the New Testament, all of it points back to Jesus Christ. And so really, he is the culmination of all the law and the prophets. He is the very finite top of the mountain. He is our example of how to live. And if we look at his life, it is a constant state of go, 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 go. You notice when he talks to people, he doesn't say, well, you, you know, you got to work on your self-esteem and, and gain a little more knowledge before you go. You've you got to do these five better things, right? I need you to enroll in this, this seminary-level teaching because uh, you need to prep up on your Bible before I can have you go. I need you to do these other 17 things before you go. No, it was never like that. It was just a straight heart issue. I need you to address the things that you need to address, but while you're doing that, I still need you to go. He carried around 12 people with him that were a complete disaster, which is great because there's a chance for us, right? Because I'm going to tell you guys, everybody wants to leave Judas out, but Judas's piece of the puzzle was just as important as anybody else's. As horrible as it may have been, he was God. You're going to tell me that he didn't know that Judas was going to betray him? Did he love him any different? Do you ever read before that, that he loved him differently? He loved him the same. And, and if we're honest with each other, some of us have been a Judas more than once in our life. And some of us have been willing to, to trick off everything else that we have that is godly and holy to pursue something that is unrighteous, if we're honest. And so I tell you guys this to say, practically speaking, we struggle with the go, Right? We, we love to relish in other people doing wonderful things for God. But it's hard for us. And it's hard for us to step out into that. And it's not that we're ungodly, and it's not that we don't care, and it's not that we don't want to see people saved. And it's definitely not that we don't want to feed people that are hungry, and we want to clothe people that, that are naked. And it's not that we don't want to give homes to people that are homeless. We just sometimes don't know how to go. Right? Because we get stuck at that. We get stuck at that. And, and, and the praise team is going to hate me for this, but can the praise team come up real quick and just stand up on the stage? I know this was unplanned, but I want to show you guys what this looks like sometimes. I want to give you a visual description of, of sometimes what we look like as Christians. Okay, you guys can just, just stand there. So, so, isn't this awesome? Do you guys feel drawn into the Spirit by this? This is what we do sometimes. This is what we do as Christians sometimes. We get ready. We've got the instruments with us. We're ready to move it. Man, we're ready to usher in the Spirit of God. Okay, go back and sit down. <laughs> and that's what we do. 
Thanks, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, but this is what we do. This is what we do every single Sunday. We don't even think about it sometimes, right? We come here, we get filled, the Spirit of God rains down, we get emotional, we cry, we have a moment with Jesus. Man, we maybe even take a selfie, put it on Facebook, hashtag church awesomeness, right? We, we do this stuff. We do all of this. And then you know what we do? We go home and we turn on the game. And from Sunday afternoon to Sunday morning, we don't spend our time telling anybody about Jesus. We don't go love on somebody that needs to be loved for Jesus. We don't pray for or with somebody that is hurting. We don't tell people about the grace that has been given us in our life. Some of you guys that have never been in trouble, you got a better testimony than almost any of us in here. Do you know how powerful that is to say that I have walked faithfully with Christ through all the trials of life? And I'm still walking with Christ. Do you know what a testimony that is? Do you know how powerful it is just, just to love on somebody, right? Just to stop and to hold somebody while they cry. Because they feel that they have ruined their life. And they don't have a shot at seeing the, great, the grace of God come out. Not everybody has to be a famous preacher. Not everybody has to be a Francis Chan. Not everybody has to be a, a missionary to Papua New Guinea. We don't have to do that. We have the biggest mission field right down the road. Okay, we can go hit downtown KC Mo, and we, all we got to do is step out the car, right? Boom, here's a pair of socks. Let me pray for you. Hey, man, what, you, you see what I'm saying? And it costs gas money and a $6 pack of socks. To spread a whole bunch of love on somebody. And even if that's not your thing, guess what? Hey, how you doing? Hey, man, you want to get a cup of coffee? I notice you've been hurting. I don't know what's going on in your life, but man, I just want to, I just want to talk to you. Can, can I tell you a little bit about the hope that I have? Hey, man, check this out. You don't even sometimes have to mention the name of Jesus. You get the chance to bless somebody with something, right? All you got to do is throw in, hey, man, somebody hooked me up with this at church. Why don't you and your family go enjoy yourselves? Do you see how easy that is? And then so back to what I started with. Every time that you step out a little bit like that, something reciprocal happens. And God blesses you. And he moves in your life. And he brings you closer to him. And then you know what? Here's the crazy part, right? You get blessed. You walk out of there, you're like, man, I, I stuck both feet in my mouth. And God's like, no, you didn't. I'm proud of you. You did it. Look at you. That is the beauty of God. And that is the relationship that he talks about. Why do you think Jesus said two, right? We went from 10 commandments to 632 or something like that. And then back down to two. Love God and love others. So I want to tell you something. Yesterday, right, so, so I told you guys, Joshua chapter 1 is a big deal. Two years ago, we moved up here, right? Two years ago. We, we sold our house to the neighbor across the street. I mean, it was a God thing, right? He's like, yeah, I'll pay cash. I, I got the money in the bank. You're covered. 
So we sold the house in two weeks to the neighbor across the street. And, and then we ended up, we, we, we redid our wedding vows because it was our five-year anniversary, right? So, so I came up, started the job, went back down, we did our wedding, packed all the kids in the cars with, with as much as we could fit. Everything else was in storage, and we moved up here, moved into a hotel up here, right? So, so, we could, so that I could do this program manager thing with Brothers in Blue. Uh, and then life hit, right? And, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. So then yesterday, right after all this, you know, I got to go down to this little retreat. And, and there was probably 15 people there that I knew. And, and some of them were guys that we had started a Bible study with because I felt the need to start a Bible study. I didn't run it. We, we, we were a group, right? I'm watching all these guys knock it out the park in their own ministries, in their own life, and doing all these wonderful things, right? Matter of fact, this shirt came from my friend Jason that was like, brother, I just want to tell you, man, it was a rough patch, but I, man, I finally quit smoking weed, and I'm really missing you guys. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I, I, I'm looking at this, and, and I'm watching these other men that have started other ministries, and, and my brother Brian Lucci, who, who puts together the whole retreat now, right? And, and I watch all these guys doing these amazing things that kind of all started with the nexus of a small little Bible study. That's it, Right? And, and all because I said, hey, man, this helped me in my life, guys. Maybe this could help this in your life. All of a sudden, all these guys are doing amazing things for God and starting other Bible studies with other people and doing these other things, right? And so, so that's what happens when you get to go back and look when you felt uncomfortable or you felt weird or you felt strange about stepping out and going. It is the beauty of what God does when you just have that little bit of obedience, right? There's a, and, and, and I'm going to close with this. There's a guy in here that, that said, hey, man, over by my house, I was driving by, and I saw these kids playing basketball, and, and, it was a, and the hoop was trashed, and, you know, I, I, think I, should go, I think I should go by there sometime, right? And then that turned to, hey, man, you know what? I went and bought a basketball hoop, and I'm out playing basketball with these kids now. You know what I'm saying? Hey, and this is, this is the progression, right? And, and then it went from, I'm playing basketball with these kids on this hoop to they're over at my house having dinner. You know what I, do, do you guys see what I'm saying? And, and, and this is the beauty of go, right? And, and really, if you put them in the same room, you're like, polar opposites. But they're not. But they're not. Because in the kingdom of God, he has made us to love each other and to build with each other and to grow each other. Because when we step one foot forward to go, we don't even realize that God's already there. He's trying to build us to where we should be and then through us build somebody else to where they should be. So like I said, my two questions. My two questions. Are we willing to come in and feast on the Spirit of God? And to feast on the blessings of God. Because it is. I mean, let's be honest, right? God really does take care of everything that we need. There is not something in our life that God does not take care of. If we are obedient and we pursue him and pursue others, he takes care of us. He just does. Right? You, you can't say that, that God makes me go without. I've, I've never met anybody that can honestly state that. You know, in my pursuit of God, he's never really met all my needs. Because it doesn't happen. But the problem is, 
sometimes we keep that for ourselves. And sometimes we like to have this, this huddle in here on Sundays, and we forget that there's a whole world out there that needs to see what God and who God is, right? And understand that, that they get to eat too. And that's why when you read through the Bible, one of his biggest ways that he shows that are feasts, right? Over and over you see stories of feasts because he wants us to get out and to feed others. Number two, there's really only two types of people in the world. There are those who are saved and there are those who are not saved. There's not different levels of Christianity. You're not, you know, 50% spirit. You, you either know Christ or, or you don't know Christ. That's it. There, there's, no, there's no deviation. There's no delineation between it. You, you know Christ or you don't know Christ. And so if we know that the worst sin out there in the world, or that the worst disease out there is sin, right? That's the worst. Everything else started from that point. If everything started from that point and we have the cure to that, why do we hold that to ourselves? Why are we willing to watch people perish and hold it close to our chest? Why aren't we banding together to storm the walls of hell to bring one person back. That's what God did for us. Right? I mean, I know my story. He had to kick some doors in to get me to say, you're my Lord and Savior. And 20 years of kicking those doors in, right? Over and over. So, so if he did that for me, then why wouldn't I want to do that for somebody else? And why wouldn't I want to share with them that relentless pursuit of a broken soul. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they hid in the bush, God walked through the garden and what did he say? Where are you? You're telling me that the creator didn't know where they were? He said, where are you? And then you know what he did? He sacrificed an animal to clothe them in their shame which is an absolute picture of what Christ did on the cross and so I tell you guys this to say is it that real to you is Christ this real in your life is God this real and if he is what are we doing to tell others are we living a life that's pleasing to God? Are we walking a life that's pleasing to God? It's not perfect. We read that. Everybody, everybody's got something. But is our goal Christ and others coming to Christ? Thank you, guys.